and talk. Welcome to Grow Up and Talk because we believe that we grow up in our faith when we read his word and talk about it. Not just reading it, but having conversations and approaching those tough questions head on and learning things from one another and when we dig deeper into studying scripture. What we're using is a three-year Bible reading plan through Messiah Lutheran Church. Some like to call it the five minutes a day reading plan for the span of three years. And today on the show, we have with us Les Turner. Les, welcome to the show. Um, Yeah, and tell us a little bit about yourself, Les. Well, hi, Pastor Alex. Well, he, first of all, he is risen, so He's thank risen you for indeed. having me here today at <laughs> Grow Up and Talk. You bet. It's my honor and pleasure to be speaking with you today. Um, about me, well, um, I've been a lifelong Lutheran. Um, it's a precious part, I guess, I got from my mom's side, and just an interesting story. My great-great-grandfather helped organize a Lutheran, or um Missouri Synod Church in a rural community just northeast of Dallas back in 1882. Wow. And they are still in service in the same building that they've had since 1902. Wow. And I was baptized there, the same as my my mom and my great-grandparents and on. And, and I remember my grandmother helping me with catechism lessons. And really, I can't remember a day that I haven't known that God loves me and Christ is my Savior. Cool. So, you know, I that's precious, but, you know, you don't want to take that for granted or, you know, but I can't say, you know, there was this one day, you know, that, you know, life changed. It's been a lifelong, you know, um, association right. in that sense that, you know, God loves me and I appreciate that. Cool. Um. My mother, you know, growing up, my mom was involved in the church, you know, just heavily over the years. She was in LWML and Walter Guild and Quilters and printed Braille books and VBS and Sam Shelter. And, you know, she, you know, cooked pre-mean casseroles and stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, we were the first to church and the last to leave on Sunday. And I, I remember as a teen, looking back, I sort of resented it, you know. Hmm. Being like that as a teenager, you know, you want to go out, you know, on a Sunday afternoon and play. But now I get it, you know, yeah. and what I once resented, you know, I get it and appreciate it now. Yeah. Um, I've been at Messiah since 2004 and about a year later was the property care chairman. And then I remember, you know, the beginning of this year, you asked me to consider being an elder. And I remember my response was, you have the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> So often you might find that in the Bible, yeah. but um, I attended the orientation class and I felt totally outgunned. Hmm. You know, there were men there of great faith, great biblical knowledge, and some in great positions in their professional field. Plus, it was just a, such a big responsibility I felt, and do I even qualify for something like that? But you know, with you, you know, I prayed with God's guidance and felt led. And with great peace, you know, told you yes, and and it's been a great experience. And hopefully, yeah. you know, I serve faithfully and abundantly, and in grace. But I can tell you that I've I'm the one that's benefited the most out of it. Yeah. You know, since then I've just dived into scripture and biblical history and Lutheran history like never before, and it's really only confirmed God's love even more, and that the scriptures just come alive and 
the Holy Spirit provides and that I feel like the Lutheran expression of faith is, you know, really faithful. So yeah. I feel like I am where, you know, I would be if I wasn't born into it, so to speak, you know, since it's the faith of my parents, you know, what would I do on my own? And I think, you know, I would be here, you know, in that sense. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I, I was going to give you a hard time about, you know, <laughs> why couldn't I get like a New Testament chapter? You well, know, we all love grace and the resurrected Christ <laughs> is the fun part. This is a tough read. <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> it was a, uh, it can, it can uh, present a few roadblocks. Uh, but as yeah, we, I feel like I've been in Old Testament boot camp or something. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this is the good thing, though. I really appreciate you coming on the show and being courageous and demonstrating that, you know what, uh, anyone can grow to love God's Word, and this podcast itself has enabled me to uh, really engage in conversation about Scripture, which I hadn't been doing that much. You know, I'd maybe been involved, maybe you're involved in Bible study or something. And sometimes, you know, we, you know, we try to ask good questions in Bible study. We try to, you know, you know, there are really awesome uh, Bible teachers. I, I also think that it's important to just in, in kind of more casual conversation, just regular conversation, have those talks about, hey, did you read this? I didn't quite understand mm-hmm. this or or, you know, is is this what's going on here? And actually, uh, because God never meant for his written word to be studied alone. It's always interpreted by the community of believers. Uh, it's always it's never, you know, what the old saying they have in the in the seminary is theology isn't done in a vacuum. And uh, that's the same about Scripture. It's not done in a vacuum. Uh, it, it's meant to be uh, alive and active because that's what God says it does, uh, that it, it means something to our lives today. And I think that uh, the more I jump into the Old Testament and even the book of Deuteronomy, the more I realize how much it actually, you know, it applies to our lives today and even points to Jesus because uh, that uh, when we don't see that grace, then we start pointing to the grace uh, that we know to be true uh, in Jesus. So uh, awesome! It was it was good to hear those things about you, Les. I learned uh, some things about you as well. Um, so, can you give us a quick overview? Or first of all, we're covering the reading from May twenty third to, to May twenty nine, and uh, that covers Deuteronomy twenty three to twenty nine. And Les, can you give us a, a brief overview of what's going on? Sure, yeah, Deuteronomy 23 through 29. And as going through it, I will joke, you know, that Hebrew is my third language. English is my second, and I don't even have a first. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it off with there. <laughs> so, you know, as we get started, if I say something not true, please have grace on me, but have the faithfulness to steer us back, if you will. So... In Deuteronomy, um, it was written, well, I guess I'll back it up just a little bit. It was written by Moses yeah. in Greek for the second law, with the Ten Commandments being the first. And yeah, it, well, we talked about that a little bit on the podcast. Yeah. It's Deuteronomy means second law, and it's just kind of saying Moses is kind of reiterating the laws mm-hmm. of the Ten Commandments and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah. It was written by Moses, and Moses is the main person talking here, I believe, for almost the entire right. book. Correct, yeah, yes. Cool. Um, 
so he's talking to the Israelites, and, you know, what I got out of it, for the most part, you know, they were very societally sort of advanced group for their day. Mm. And they're entering Canaan where, you know, they worship multiple gods and things that devalue humanity and community. Mm. And Moses pleads with them to worship the one true God and no others. So he reviews these laws given by God to the Israelites, you know, that was found in Exodus and Leviticus. And if they listen and obey God, they'll be blessed and an example to all nations, and they'll be a nation of priests. But if they don't obey, then they will be cursed and exiled. And Moses later on references that the Hebrew people have proven to be hard of heart and regressive in their bad habits. So you jump into chapter 23, and... The first one, and I'm going to, I guess, preface it right here. You know, it starts off pretty tough, so I'll keep it, you know, when I'm reading it, sort of PG-13 rated. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, what you read, you know, and I guess you have to compare that with their social norms of their day and now. Yeah. And that might be sort of tough. But, you know, in a sense, it talks about adultery or adultery and forbidden union of two things that, the Lord says that shouldn't be mixed and they sort of pervert God's order, you know, from the Canaanites, you know, they're basically a bad example to him and, and he didn't want them to pick up these things. But, you know, as they say, whenever in Rome and they start doing that. So there's a lot of references that have, I guess, a double entendre of having a sexual nature meaning, but then it also has a meaning of, you know, fairness and the law and what's right. And it was sort of hard for me to tell, you know, I guess just because of distance of time and cultures and language, you know, I don't know if they were trying to be risque or crude or if it was just their normal talk or not taboo of today of, you know, some of these things. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know. They were well aware, I guess, the the command of being fruitful and marriage was highly valued because with it, it had children, and hopefully one of them was a boy because they really valued that. And women were valued because they felt like, you know, they held the key to that lineage in Mm -hmm. that sense. Yeah. And then in my notes, you know, with an explanation mark, you know, as far as adultery and things like that, I put, however, do not take what is not yours. Right. Exclamation yeah. mark. Yeah. Very clear. So in this, in that sense, you know, that seems repeated throughout, you know, in a lot of subjects. You know, they sort of take what's God's and not theirs. Yeah. Uh, um, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. You keep going. Well, you know, and it sort of goes into, you know, lending and usury yeah. and that their people should really take care of their own with emphasis on the poor and the widowed and the ill and escaped slaves and travelers and you know not taking advantage of people in a lesser or in a bad situation Mm -hmm. and and then my next point i had was you know vows and then again with an exclamation point i put keep them (laughs) you know better yet not to make them at all but let your yes be yes and your no be no because i guess on vows you know i don't know much less you know tomorrow a month from now i don't even know the next hour so how can I keep that vow? You know, I might make something I 
think I can do, but I can't. Only God can, you know, really, you know, make those vows. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And then they talk about regulations for the priesthood and they, you know, priests should be without physical blemish. And one thing I noticed that unlike, I guess, kings, they're subordinate to the laws as they're mm-hmm. not kings in that sense. Yeah. But through all of this, you know, they're following the law by ritual, which misses sort of the point. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of other laws and stuff. And then it talks about divorce, you know, and, and I guess the Canaanites, as I get it and do my research, you know, marriage and remarriage was common. Mm-hmm. And they like to create a bunch of legal loopholes that almost turned it in. Well, not almost. I think it did turn it into almost legalized, you know, wife swapping. Right. I mean, it was that corrupt. Mm. And that God intended, you know, the marriage vow to be for a lifetime. Yeah. So, you know, they can claim they were following the law again. Because, yeah, it's legal to do that, but it's they miss the point again because of the hardness of their heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it talks about workers being paid fairly and justice for strangers again. And like you uh, mentioned earlier in the opening, that the law shadows things to come, which connects the law to Christ. Yeah. And then, you know, about chapter 25, it talks about more legal concerns and about weights and measures and fair dealing. And then here's another one, um, and it applies to you in a sense. Um, chapter 25, verse 4, it talks mm-hmm. about not muzzling an ox, yes. which I found <laughs> in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 9, 9. Exactly. And Basically, we're to support these apostles and pastors and pay them because muzzling an ox is to, to inhibit the message. Right. Yeah. In that. Let's sense. jump. Let's definitely jump back to that uh, later on. So keep that thought. We'll talk, All we'll right. talk about that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, fast forward to kind of, you know, there's all these laws kind of mixed together. But then 20 sure. or actually 27, there's kind of this uh, turning point from a bunch of laws to something else is happening. So describe what's happening in chapters 27 to 29. On 27, um, you know, there's curses to those that do not put the law or the Torah, you know, into practice. And so, you know, it's important not to forget Scripture. And of those that are traveling, those that were majority age or able to go to war at that time, made it to Israel, and that Israel's not owned by the Israelites, but by God, and basically they're just tenants in that sense. And it talks about the love of God and love of neighbor, and again, it goes into sexual behavior and mm-hmm. the guidance on that. Um, in 28, chapter 28, um, the first part of it is, very similar or parallel to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, yeah. you know, found in Matthew 5. And it, you know, goes into like legalism, you know, it's not based on faith. And and here's one question I had, you know, it talks about these curses. Are these curses a condemnation or just a penalty? Hmm. Well, uh, we can dig a little bit more into that in a in a bit uh but my short answer is i think it's you know god is you know 
these these punishments or I guess consequences as you might word mm-hmm. them are designed to turn them back to him. So I don't think that, you know, it is a curse in the sense that, you know, pestilence or bad things are happening to them, but they are designed to turn them back to following the ways of God. And, uh, you know, this is where we point to Christ um, and, and how he received the full punishment of God on our behalf. So we ex- right. still experience bad things to happen, but the fact that, you know, something bad happens to me in my life isn't because God is punishing me for that. Now, there are not, there are just consequences for sin in the world, and so I might do something bad, and then as a consequence, you know, God allows things to happen because that's just the natural consequence of, of the action that I took. So there are natural consequences that tend to happen now, you know, after Christ has taken on God's full punishment on our behalf. Uh, So we shouldn't necessarily look at uh, certain things and say, oh, God is punishing those people because they're experiencing a bunch of natural disasters. Um, Here, God is specifically warning them ahead of time. These things will happen to you if you don't follow me and follow my law. Now, he has not said that to us after Christ has received the full punishment and wrath of God on the cross. And so I think that this is one of those examples where we can draw the principle out from what is being said here. But there are some uh you know, passages in the Bible that apply to a specific group of people in a particular cultural context, and this is one of them. So this is for the Israelites in this time in history and in this place, uh, a warning for them. We shouldn't necessarily make the jump in saying, well, if these things happen to me today, God is punishing me. Uh, I don't think that's you know, the correct interpretation, Mm -hmm. I think we look to Christ and interpret because, you know, we can't with 100% certainty know what God is up to when he allows certain things to happen or, uh, you know, where his, how his hand is working in certain situations. That's what we call the hidden God. And so we can't make a definitive proclamation or statement about what God is is up to with 100% certainty. We can, however, point to what God has already done, and what he's already done in Jesus is he's re- taken the full punishment for us on our behalf. Now, Jesus promised there's still brokenness and tribulation and trials in the world, and when you face trials, at which you are going to face trials, Um, You don't have to consider it a punishment, but as James talks about in his book, you can consider it pure joy uh, because your joy is anchored in Christ who have taken on the full condemnation. So you know that when these things are happening to you, they're not curses necessarily being enacted upon you. It's not a sign of your condemnation. It's a sign of yeah, the brokenness and sin in the world, which you contribute to, and the wages of that sin, the consequence is death. However, in Christ, those things are undone, or those things have no final power over you anymore. 
Um, so I think that's my long answer for saying. Oh, that's a good <laughs> answer because that sort of as I went through this, yeah. my mind kept going there in a sense. Right. I think a lot of people you know, do and, think that. Um, yeah. And people think like, oh, God is punishing me. Now, there is a sense that, you know, God is allowing certain, you know, when suffering happens, the truth of the matter is that God is allowing that to happen. We have to be honest and realize that, yeah, God is. And that's why people start to jump into um, this is good stuff that we're talking about here. So this is exactly what this podcast is for. But some people want to try to um, relieve God's involvement so much because they just can't imagine God allowing certain things to happen. And they want to relieve his involvement in creation and all the bad stuff that happens so much that they say, well, God is like uh, a clockmaker who makes the earth and that's his clock. And then he just leaves it alone and he's not involved in it anymore. He steps back and he's, you know, lets it work its own his own way out. Uh, but that is not the picture uh, and truth that Scripture gives to us about God. Scripture is very clear that God is actively involved in the lives of his people and in all of his creation, that God is upholding creation, because if he wasn't upholding creation, then it would fall into mass chaos, and that would be what we call hell. Um, but mm-hmm. since God is present in his creation we know that he's sustaining it and that he has, you know, there are laws in place, there are mechanisms in place, there's the natural law written on everyone's hearts and minds, even if they don't profess Christ to be their Lord. In general, people understand right from wrong, and that's designed naturally to prevent, you know, all this evil from happening. It's designed to resist evil. Uh, now, God does allow things to happen uh, that are bad, and we can't answer that. We can't answer the question of why. That's not our question to answer. Um, so in that, we point to what we can answer. We know that God wants all people to be saved. We know that God is a good God. We know that every good gift is from our Heavenly Father and that he promises to take care of us, that we can literally not worry about tomorrow but we can trust and rely on God to carry us through so we point to those things that we do know when we run into the questions that we can't answer well thank you for that insight (laughs) and I might have some follow-up questions you know on that as we talk some more but you know I in my notes I'll put Messiah you know Jesus was cursed on a tree yep. so that we are not cursed. Exactly. But then there's sort of, I don't know if you call it, I don't know the poetry of it all, that ate, man ate from a tree and was cursed, but in communion we eat from a cursed tree and live. Yep. And that symmetry, and it sort of goes back in that sense. Yeah. So Jesus is, you know, that's what God is always up to. He's, he's, he's wanting to reverse things that have been done by uh, the sinfulness of, of, of creatures. And so the creator is, is constantly on the move to reclaim the creation back for himself. He's saying, this got messed up mm-hmm. because my creatures messed up, and it's totally on them. It's their fault, their responsibility. 
yet I, as the creator, I don't have to do anything for them, but I want to. No. I, I love them, yeah. and so I'm going to get in the mess with them. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to give them all these guidelines and laws and regulations that are actually for their good so that their lives will start to look more and more like me their lives will start to reflect me more and more and that's exactly what you know he's doing throughout history what he's doing here in Deuteronomy what he did in Jesus and what he continues to do in us through the power of his holy spirit and you brought up a great example which is communion communion is 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 it's not just the representation it's not just a sign but it is literally god giving his uh himself to us for the forgiveness of our sins. It's literally God getting, um, dwelling in us and getting uh, down to earth with us to reverse the things that we have done to creation, to restore and, br- and reclaim creation back for his own. Um, and so we, we take in the body and blood of Jesus and that kills the sin in us and that can t- propels us forward to closer and closer to that day when Jesus will make all things completely new again. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, you know, God is up to that through, I'm glad he yeah, is. and throughout and all of history. And we can see that in Deuteronomy and we can see that in all of scripture. And we still st- see that today. Now we're, we're, we still experience the curse of sin and the curse of death. Uh, but that's why, you know, a lot of times people, um, and I'm talking a lot here, uh, so <laughs> I'll hand it over to you, Les, in just a second. Um, You're doing but, good. <laughs> yeah, you got me going. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of people quote that passage, where, O oh, death, is your, or where, O oh, hell, is your victory, where, O oh, death, is your sting. But before that passage, which is a quote from the Old Testament, I believe, um, it's a, it's a New Testament passage that quotes the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, right before that poetic phrase that we often emphasize, Paul writes, uh, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, you know, when Christ returns, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, uh, meaning that death has not been fully swallowed up in victory yet the the total victory that is supposed to be experienced that is guaranteed for us definitely has not been fully realized and we need to recognize that because yeah we can still look death in the in its face we can still see the brokenness of the world and we can say this isn't a punishment This is the consequence of brokenness in the world. The punishment was received by Jesus. However, we still experience the after effects of the curse and the after effects of the brokenness. And Mm -hmm. the, the curse won't be fully eliminated until Jesus returns and gets rid of it permanently. So death has actually not been fully swallowed up in victory yet. And that's kind of the now, not yet dynamic. It has been in the sense that Jesus has claimed the victory over death by rising from the dead. And we have that guarantee. And he wants us to live our lives 
like that guarantee, like we have that guarantee because we do. (laughs) However, we should also be realistic and recognizing that that curse, that the wages of sin and the brokenness of this world and the consequences of our sins and the curses of it have not been fully eliminated yet. Um, And so uh, this is what we see in Deuteronomy is is pre-Jesus, and and Jesus takes on the full curse for us, yet we still experience um, the evil in this world. Um, But because of Jesus, we live a different way, and we, we can perceive the moment differently than even the Israelites did in Deuteronomy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, Les. That is true. Chapter well, 29. All right. Tell us we'll what happened. Forward to 29. Yeah, well, Moses asked this new generation to ratify the covenant as their parents did and reminds them of their redemption history. And and then my last point was, you know, with an exclamation point was trust and obey. Mm-hmm. You know, that's bottom line for those folks. Yeah. And for us as well. Awesome. All right. So we uh, definitely went on a rabbit trail, which was really good. Uh, but <laughs> I took you there. Thank you for taking us back. That's, that's good, though. Um, and so we... Uh, covered the overview. So let's talk about the things that really stood out to us, the things that we want to hit on. Uh, So what in particular stood out to you in this uh, section of Scripture? Well, you already answered one of my questions, and, you know, there's sort of the relationship of the law, the curses, and the blessings of that and how they work, you know, you answered previously. And the bottom line, you know, that, the, this law or this covenant, you know, once God gave it to them through Moses, you know, the people may change or their obedience, but, you know, him and this covenant doesn't change mm-hmm. right. in that sense. Um, but, um, you know, that God wants, you know, what stood out to me, and I guess maybe the lesson of it was, you know, God wants a personal relationship first, then obedience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely cares about a relationship uh, with his people. And that's really, yeah. uh, a, uh, I guess, a, a facet of Christianity that um, sometimes gets lost uh, upon, you know, people who m- maybe make claims uh, against Christianity you know, or make the claim that, you know, Christianity is just like all the other religions, basically saying the same thing. Well, you know, no other belief system claims to have such a personal God. And even though we don't see God in his most personal form, like we see in Jesus, here God, even in Deuteronomy, is getting personal uh, by speaking through his servant Moses. And he's even getting personal by warning them ahead of time, kind of what we were talking about, of if you do these things, it will go well with you. If you don't do these Mm -hmm. things, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, that might seem really harsh, um, 
it might almost seem to us like, well, God's no different from other gods. But how many other gods actually tell you ahead of time what is going to happen? <laughs> and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, this is God, the the only God, telling his people in a very personal and upfront way. So when you see these things happening, you know that I'm with you. And when you see these things happening because you're disobeying me, you still know that I'm with you and that I really want you to get back on the right track and follow me. Um, and so I think that that should be emphasized. God is 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 uh, communicating all these things because he's a personal God, because he desires that relationship with them. He wants to be connected to them, but he's not going to tolerate any uh, connection with them if in, in their uh, unrighteousness or disobedience. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, Anything else that uh, you really stood out to you? That That's about it, okay. you know, as far as that goes. Yeah. yeah well, I... Ha- no, it was a sort of a tough read, I'll admit, yeah. you know, in that <laughs> sense. And I did feel like, you know, in reading it, and, you know, I've got my study Bible, and even, you know, reading the notes in it, you know, again, I go back to just the difference of time and cultures and language, you know, I felt like I'm missing something, or, you know, hmm. is there, you know, more to that than I'm you know, not getting out, or is there a point missed in that sense? Well, yeah, and I think that, you know, sometimes we look at uh, books like Leviticus, and here Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. really echoes a lot of stuff that we see in Leviticus. Um, It's just kind of giving it in a new and fresh way to a new generation of Israelites, which Mm -hmm. is actually what we do today. We give the same gospel uh, we probably communicate it in some different ways and some different methods because we live in a particular cultural context. And that's the beauty of yes. God's truth is that it can be applied to any context because it's universal. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so when we, when you, a, a good thing to keep in mind, just kind of a tip for reading, just for all our listeners and everything. First of all, like you said, Les, you know, you were looking at your study Bible. So a really good thing to have a really helpful thing is to have some kind of study Bible and the study Bible will give you notes and things that you can look at, uh, that come from scholars and people who have done some historical research, sometimes archeological research, sometimes research into the original language of the scriptures. And those notes can help you understand the scriptures better and you can know that there's been some really smart people who have done a lot of really important research uh to to be able to say some of those things and 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 make those interpretive moves uh so that can be helpful another thing is to think about you know with all these different laws and everything think about okay what's the principle behind the law and so let's for that example or actually let me talk about a couple of examples so like in chapter 24 verse 5 it said when a man is newly married he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken and we might look at that and say wow that's really strict or that's 
why would that's very specific um, but when you think about what's the principle behind that well the actually I'll ask you Les what what do you think is the principle behind well, what I got that? out of it in, instead of strict I took it as I felt like that was generous yeah. you know we have you know like leave or paid leave you know and stuff today well in a sense you know here's someone you know a young man I'm going to take that you know could be eligible or whatever, go to war or work mm-hmm. or what have you. And it says, you know, spend the next year at home with your wife. And you think, oh, yeah. well, that's nice. <laughs> but in reading and researching, I think the idea behind that was, well, one with the marriage, and then soon there would be children out of that yeah. union. And family and lineage, you know, were very important to these mm-hmm. people. And so I think it helps support the marriage and the family as well. And then maybe there was a practical point as well of the children because of maybe, you know, going to war and loss there and illness and stuff like that and their survival rate, you know, so from that practical aspect. But, you know, they had kids, you know, pretty much, you know, from the get-go. And like I said earlier, hopefully one of them's a boy, but, you know, they wanted children in that sense. So I think they socially supported that marriage and family union. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was very good of them to do that. Right, exactly. And not stress. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of people might see it in different ways. But you point out the principle behind it, and that is, you know, a couple of things. You know, you're upholding the marriage relationship between the husband and wife. And that being the priority before you, you know, have all these children or, you know, fill your house with, you know, children and other responsibilities. um, You're focusing on your relationship with your wife or your husband, your spouse. And um, and and in doing so, you're actually going to have a, a healthier family unit. So that's one practical aspect. And, and people do this all the time today in the sense that. Um, you know, when people first get married, a lot of times people like to wait to have kids. And it's, in a sense, kind of doing a, a similar thing, you know, saying, hey, we're, we're going to wait a little while to have kids. We're going to enjoy some time, uh, just the two of us. And, you know, I think that's actually, you know, is an important thing to think about in solidifying your relationship with your spouse and letting that be the foundation of your family. Uh, whereas I think the temptation we've run into today is that children tend to be the center of our family unit. And, uh, you know, people might argue with me and say, well, that's just how it is. Like, you know, children take over your life. But <laughs> and I fight that all the time. But uh, the truth is that God cares first and we should, too, about the marriage as the foundation of the family unit. Uh, the other thing that I think about is, you know, the importance of, of remembering where your you, the priority of your vocation. So first you became a husband, and that vocation as a husband is more important than your vocation as a fighting man in the army or as your occupation. So if your job is starting to interfere with your marriage relationship, then you need to remember that the primary vocation that God told you to take care of was your marriage. So leave the job, sacrifice what you need to, to make sure uh, 
that first vocation that you've had as a husband or a wife is uh, prioritized in that way. Uh, and a little bit of an application point that I see from this is as a leader or, you know, pastor and leader of a congregation, uh, it, it relates to us today in a practical sense in that, you know, I should maybe think twice about approaching the newly married guy for, you know, trying to get him tied up with a bunch of volunteer opportunities in our congregation. Uh, I should be careful about approaching the guy who has a lot of young children and getting heavily involved in, you know, contributing to different, you know, opportunities in our congregation. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be involved in the life of the mm. church at all, but we should think carefully about those times of development, the time when you're developing your marriage relationship for the first year, the time when your kids are young and they're developing and you're, you're learning about how to uh, become a family. I think it's important that we still are mindful of those things, uh, especially today. And this is just an ancient example of that, I think. Mm-hmm. So, well, yourself in the congregation at large, yeah, you know, yeah. we should support that. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, you see all sorts of things like, you know, don't try to go over your fields twice or your grape vines twice. Just go over them once and leave whatever's mm-hmm. left over for the poor. You know, just taking care of, of the marginalized and people setting boundaries in your life, uh, having personal responsibility for things. Uh, a big thing that you mentioned earlier was, you know, keep your vows. In other words, don't overpromise. If you're going to promise something, be a person of your word and 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 get that done. Do it quickly. Um, yeah, and uh, let's go to that that one part that that one passage that you talked about. Do not, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Let's talk about that. I'm not calling you an ox, first of oh. all. So. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, <laughs> all right, Les, what did you find? Uh, w- first first impressions about that passage, what did you find uh, with that? Um, well, it's um, 25-4. Yep. And here we get to it here. Um, well, like I said earlier, um, I guess they equated that, you know, when the, well, I guess to paint the picture, um, it's when they're um, grinding grain for flour and you're using the ox. And if it doesn't have a muzzle, you know, it's going to eat as it's grinding away, you know, mm-hmm. and then they suffer that loss. But if the ox doesn't eat, then it can't work either. Right. So you're, so that's, I guess, the situation. Yeah. But um, they, equate it you know like in the new testament as well that we are to support the pastors and the apostles and it talks about you know paying them you know they as a pastor or any pastor you know shouldn't be at some poverty level but yet they shouldn't be you know at the richest level i think they had and do more research you know almost like an average of whatever region or their church was it was something like that but it just shows that they valued that as well mm-hmm. to support it. 
because if they didn't value it, I'm sure they wouldn't support it right. in that sense. Well, and, and you explained the uh, the context of the Old Testament passage really well, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of, I guess I see that relating, first of all, to the concept of, uh, you know, the man who is newly married shall not go into the army or do anything like that in, in the first year of his marriage. It's kind of similar to that in, in the sense that it, you know, we see a theme here in these chapters of Deuteronomy, you know, create boundaries to take care mm-hmm. of yourself, to create boundaries to take care of the people around you and your community, uh, your brothers and sisters, uh, take care of your leaders, the Levites, who were the the people who handled the the priestly duties of, of God's house at his temple. Uh, they were allowed to eat a lot of the offerings, the food offerings, the animal offering that people brought to the temple. They were allowed to eat that. That's how they were provided for. And uh, that allowed them to devote their lives to, you know, doing their job. And yes, Paul uses that kind of in a... a at the, as in his time, as a m- kind of a more modern example, yeah, support me, please. Um, <laughs> I can uh, worry. I don't have to worry about finances if, if people are, you know, supporting me as an apostle is what Paul is saying. Mm-hmm. And I can focus on my job and doing that well. Well, you were just relating it to the newly married, right. you know, husband and wife right. and supporting them where they can concentrate on the marriage and each other. Right. Well, you know, if we can support you or if we support pastors at large, they can focus mm-hmm. on, you know, the message and their gospel going out and the spreading the word. Yeah. So, you know, a recent conversation that I had with someone uh, talked about or was they were talking to me about like, okay, you're pouring out, you keep pouring out, you keep pouring out for other people. So mm-hmm. w- where do you get, you know, that, that thing or, or someone or the word of God that's pouring into you? Uh, because when I prepare for a podcast or uh, a Bible study or a sermon or something like that, it's not quite the same as reading that myself. Uh, just for personal and and letting that God speak to me uh, in that way. Uh, You know, I definitely get things out of it. There's a devotional aspect to that. But it was important for me to kind of take a step back and realize, okay, I need to to make sure I'm uh, allowing, having some time that's separate, that's set apart for God uh, to pour into me like that. Maybe it's listening to a sermon. Maybe it's... uh, listening to a song or listening to scripture audibly or um or just you know reading that for five minutes on my own whatever it might be so that's the question for us to consider is okay who are we allowing to pour into us you know how are we uh you know setting up those boundaries so that we can be poured into so that we can keep pouring out to others Um, and i think you know, we kind of see that here in, in Deuteronomy. Uh, we have to allow ourselves and other people to be poured into, to be provided for, taken care of in a holistic way if we're going to expect to, uh, you know, do good things, to be impactful, to uh, live lives of significance and honor God. Um, yeah. 
Um, what else? I'm trying to think. Um, oh yeah, there was the the part about uh, I can't remember where it, where it is, and it, it mentions about how uh, this group of people shall not, um, or I think it's the Ammonites or the Moabites, they shall not be in the assembly of the the house of God. Um, and I think that's yeah. Around twenty-two or three, yeah, yeah at the beginning. So, yeah. um, I kind of had a question. This was a little bit confusing, maybe concerning at first for me. And you know, it says the word forever, um, you know, forever. And but then there's, you know, what we already done. Les and I here, we've uh, gone to those passages that are a little bit clearer. For us, in Ephesians chapter two, verse thirteen, Paul says, "Now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." So, uh, once again, pointing to Jesus kind of solves those uh, that confusion that we in- might initially have about, well, these people weren't allowed uh, into the assembly of God, and it says forever here, um, but uh, that word forever can be considered a hyperbole, just an extreme emphasis on that to uh, emphasize uh, the extreme consequence of their sin because they didn't offer uh, food or, you know, they didn't provide for the Israelites when they were traveling on their way to Canaan, even though they are somewhat related to the Israelites because the Ammonites and Moabites were related to Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham. And so uh, they did not provide for people who were considered uh, part of, of God's family or, or mm-hmm. at least related to them in some sense. So anyways, uh, that was another. So we, I think, are Gentiles sort of, you know, outside yeah. that. Yep. But through Jesus, you know, we're adopted into that. Exactly. Um, and I think that's important to remember. Uh, God reminds the Israelites, hey, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. And it's important mm-hmm. to remember where we've been brought from. Uh, Jesus says, he who is forgiven much loves much. And we, it's good to remind ourselves, it's not a new thing that God uh, calls us to do in uh, reminding ourselves and remembering where God has brought us from. He's brought us from eternal punishment. He's brought us from total condemnation and just death in our sins. And uh, because of that, we can see the circumstances that we're in in a totally new way. So, yep. All right, we are going to take a break, and we will be right back. Hey, welcome back to Grow Up and Talk. Les, I want to ask you, we've gone over a lot of different things. We've jumped around. So I want to close by asking you, how do you see this section of Scripture having importance to our lives today? Well, I see it 
in whole is a part or a pattern of God revealing his character, his hatred of sin, mm-hmm. his love of mankind, and his plan for mankind's redemption. And it's a heart problem then, and it's a heart problem now. Yep. You know, and so we pray for a new and open heart so that we may listen and obey God in love. Yeah. Is how I would sum it up. Right. And how it's important to our Christian lives today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's a really good point to remember that, you know, what we're experiencing today is the same back then. It's a heart problem. It's a sin problem. Um, and God wants to do something about that. He does. He did. And he's still doing something about that today. So that's awesome. Um, I think for me, it's that emphasis on living rightly. You know, God cares about, yeah, he wants to have a relationship with us. But another, well, and another way, another thing that he really cares about is us living rightly among one another. Uh, so mm-hmm. our relationship with God is, is is that vertical relationship between just us and him. But God cares also about the horizontal, our relationship with our neighbor and with one another. He cares about that a lot, especially within the community of believers, within uh, the group of people that call themselves and claim to be part of God's people. So this kind of goes back to what I was referencing earlier before the break with the Ammonites and Moabites not being able to be or any of their descendants being able to go into the assembly of God's house. And this is because they they were related to the Israelites through a long line of people uh, because they were related to Lot, who was related to Abraham. So they were, in a sense, kin or family Mm -hmm. in that way. But yet they didn't offer things to their brothers uh, or sisters in the Israelite nation uh, when they were wandering in the wilderness. And God takes this very seriously because they claim to be related. They claim to be brothers and sisters, and yet they didn't act like it or they didn't live like it. Now, he's much nicer to the Edomites, who are descendants of Esau, because even though Esau's people went a different way than Jacob's uh, people, which is the Israelites, uh, Jacob and Esau considered them, you know, they still treated each other like brothers, and the Edomites and the Israelites still treated each other as family, and they lived like it. So we should... We should that should remind us of how how much God cares about unity and fellowship within our uh, church family uh, because he cares about it then and he cares about it now um, and so we should we should uh, remember that uh, God not only cares about us doing our devotional time and having a relationship with him and being connected with him but the way he likes to to be uh, connected with us is also in our connection with other people, um, especially those within our church family. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I took away. Uh, Les, it's been a pleasure talking about Deuteronomy with you, and there's been a lot of interesting things packed into these chapters. As always, oh, it yeah. is packed. <laughs> As always on this show, and we can't cover everything. But we, of course, have time for a random question. So my question to you is this. If you 
besides the Bible, okay, let's leave the Bible out of this. Um, well, I guess, you know, you can, let's say you can only read one book for the rest of your life. Um, and that's the only book that you can ever read again. That's the only piece of material that you can ever read again. Uh, so let's say that in addition to the Bible, there's one other book that you can read for the rest of your life. What would that book be? Oh, my goodness, you would ask. Uh, I, you know, I'll give you a random answer to a random oh, question because I don't really have an answer. I'm not the biggest reader. If I have something I need to research, I will dive into it and lock myself in the office for days if I need to and then just come out and ta-da, I've researched everything there is to know about it. But I look at people that are all, they always have a book and, <laughs> you know, in their hand. And I wish I was like that person, but I'm not. So another book, mm. Mm. there's not another book that I just have to have that would, I think, <laughs> satisfy or I'd be okay with for the rest of my oh, life. Oh, swing right and a miss. All right. Do you watch movies? <laughs> yes, it is. Sorry. Do you watch movies? No, I'm not a big movie watcher as well. Yes, I what like, are you doing your free time? Uh, well, one, I don't have much free time. <laughs> but two, no, when I do, no, I, as you know, I love automotive okay. stuff. If it has an engine on it, I'm interested in that. Um, you know, construction, okay. agriculture, cowboy lifestyle. You could drive one vehicle for nature. the rest of your life. What is that vehicle? Mm, it might be my first one. Okay. I had a 65 Chevrolet pickup, and it was pretty nice and pristine, and I sold it back to the second owner, and I wish I never did. Mm. It was one of those teenage deals. Very that, good. You know, so <laughs> I wish I had it back. <laughs> good good there question. There you go. That though. was a little better. Um, yeah, I, we redeemed our, ourselves here. Um, I think for me, since I just get to have anything, for the rest of my life, oh, yeah. it's going to be a, a red Ford Grand Torino with the white stripe down the side. The oh, Starskin Star Hutch, Hutch car. car. Yeah. 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 I, I was so into Starskin Hutch when I was in high school because my aunt, well, I liked the, the modern comedy movie that came out uh, on mm -hmm. it. And then my aunt was like, well, you know, that was a real show back in the 70s. And I was like, oh, okay. And so every Christmas she would get me a new season of Starskin Hutch. And so I just became obsessed with uh, wanting to have <laughs> the Ford Grand Torino as my car one day. So that was my dream car for a while. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, very good. Yeah. Hey, if you have any questions or want to talk to us about anything and have us address something on the show, email that to growupandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure today, Les. Thanks for coming on the show and talking about Scripture with us. Well, thank you, Pastor Alex. Being able to discuss the Word of God is the joy of Christians, so yeah. appreciate it. Awesome. All right, listeners, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we will, I guess, talk to you, not see you, but talk to you next time. Peace. <laughs>